so when we were in India, or actually, for those of you who don't know, I'm from India, and I am from a state called Manipur, and I belong to a tribe called Kom, K-O-M. So this is part of my traditional colors. This is mainly uh, for men, for the men. So you might have seen Lisa wearing a different outfit. It's a, they have different colors. So this is specifically for the men. And so Manipur is in, located in the northeast part of I India. It's basically bordering Burma or Myanmar as they call it now. And it is a very beautiful place. I've been telling Lisa about this for a long time, showing pictures. She finally believed me after we got there. Sorry, I don't have pictures today, but one of these days we'll try to sh share some pictures with you all. Uh, it has a beautiful weather. Uh, it's a little humid. A little more than Houston so but otherwise it's not very hot but it's very actually very humid and uh, Manipur's population consists of mainly of Hindus Muslims and Christians uh, when I say Christians at least culturally the, uh, the uh, missionaries came in the uh, early 1900s and and since then there there are some Christians where I'm from in my state and it's almost it has almost become a part of our culture. Everybody in the village, especially the tribals, they go to churches. They all have churches. And so the rest, the rest of the population is made up of Hindus and Muslims, and they're also known as Maites. So the Maites li live in the valleys or in the plain area, where else the tribals people like me will live up in the mountains, up in the hills. So, but later on, uh, because of, uh, or, or, or education or the city being developed, people have kind of mixed together a little bit where they live. But normally, or even culturally, people are very uh, separated, even where they, where they live. For example, my tribe, we have our own area. We don't go and live in other places. We are located in one part of the state, and each tribe has their own locations. And we are all scattered, but also uh, together as tribes. So the cultural, uh, culturally, we are uh, very united in a way as, as tribes. And, and it's interesting because each tribe has their own language. Uh, we, so that, that brings up a lot of uh, challenges when we're evangelizing. So when we uh, basically when we share the gospel with somebody from a different tribe, because we do have our state language, it's called Manipuri, or sometimes people may speak uh, English or Hindi. So when, we, when they trust Christ as their savior, there's a big problem. The problem is that they can't come to my church because they belong to a different tribe because they won't be able to understand anything that we're talking about in church. So that brings up some difficulties or challenges when it comes to uh, evangelism. So while we were there, I had the opportunity to sit down with two gentlemen who were working as evangelists among the Metis. So they belonged to my tribe, the Kom tribe, but they were uh, uh, working around the Metis uh, who are predominantly uh, Hindus. And I was just asking them about what their uh, ministries look like. Uh, one of the men, uh, 
I've known him for a long time. Actually, my dad discipled him and trained him for about two years. And after that, he just launched out on his own. And, and he's, been, he's been going out there for almost 15 years. So he, uh, he gets paid a little bit uh, to do that. Uh, but mainly, he supports himself by running a, a small pharmacy in the village. And where he, how, that's how he supports himself. And I asked him about how they do evangelism. Like, I was talking to him about how we do it here as well. And he said, it's kind of similar, but there is, there, there's a little different, it's a little different as in we can go here and communicate with anybody here and it's, it's almost open in a way. But over there, you have to first go through the cultural barrier. You have to learn their culture and be a friend. So it takes, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. As I was talking to him, it takes a lot of effort. Uh, he does most of his uh, outreach on Sundays. So he attends a local church. And after the service, uh, he, he will have lunch and then go all day. Basically, he will go in the neighborhoods, just, just visiting people, being a friend, and sometimes providing uh, the people's needs, see, seeing where their needs are, and being a friend. And, 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 and after a while, trying his best to share the gospel with them. And then he also has a group of people that he's led to the Lord. It's awesome. He, in that area where he would... Uh, after after his service, he would go have Bible studies with them. There's not really uh, a, a church yet, but there's a, a few people that he meets with regularly, and and he and he teaches them uh, from the Bible. Uh, as as I was speaking to them, one of the challenges that they face is uh, a little bit uh, lack of training. Because they, they, they didn't really go to Bible college. Yes, he was trained a little bit, but in some ways he felt like he needed uh, more training. And even the other evangelists, as I was talking to them, there was a uh, need for training. And they would really benefit from that. And I'm thankful for people like that who are serving there uh, and, and witnessing and being, being a light in a place like that. Um, while we were there... I, I got to speak at two different churches. So, like I mentioned earlier, we have different villages. My dad grew up in a village, but later moved in the city. So he's pastoring a church in the city. So I got to speak there uh, at the church where my dad's pastoring. And also we went to go visit the church in the village where my dad grew up and we were, I was able to uh, speak there. And it was, it was interesting because uh, five years ago, before I came here, when I made the decision to come, come to Houston, uh, I, before Arise Baptist Church actually existed, it was in 2017, uh, it was in January, I was, I was there, and I was asking my church, the two churches there, uh, to, to pray for what, uh, to pray for Arise Baptist Church, to pray that as I was planning to uh, move to Houston and help uh, start uh, Arise Baptist Church, be a part of Arise Baptist Church. And basically, uh, it was wonderful to just give a re almost like a report to the people there uh, to, and to, to, to tell them about what the Lord is doing here at Arise Baptist Church. And a lot of people ask me questions about, well, we thought everybody in America is a Christian. That's how, that's exactly, it's, it's, it, it was more than 
four or five people who came and asked me, we thought everybody in America is a Christian. Why do you guys even need a church? That was the question that, they, they, that, that people asked me a lot. And I was able to explain what it's like here in America. And, it's, and it was an eye-opener op- eye for a lot of people because they just assume uh, for some reason that many people in America are Christians because we have uh, missionaries from America coming there and preaching the gospel. So they just assume that everybody is like that. And uh, that, that, that was one of the questions that they asked. And it's, it's wonderful uh, to, it was wonderful opportunity to, to speak again there and share what the Lord is doing here. And uh, this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. I want to take a few minutes to uh, share from, from this chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses, I'm going to read from verses 9 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 15. The Bible says, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge. If one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which, should, which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Paul wrote many different letters to correct problems in the church and to encourage people in the faith. 2 Corinthians is a little different. It was mainly, or it was written to defend himself. It was written to defend his apostleship. He was... So he was being called out as a false teacher, so he had to defend himself. So in chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul unfolds his ministry, why he went to Galatia, why he went to Corinth, why serve God, why does he do, why, why he does what he does, and what motivates him to do what he does. What is his motivation for service? Some dictionaries define motivation as something that causes you to act. So for example, whether uh, it's your, uh, whether when you want to drink a glass of water, it's your thirst that motivates you to get a glass of water, right? That's, That's motivation. So this morning, I want to take a few minutes and talk about what motivated Paul to serve God. What motivated Paul to serve God? 
Let's, let's pray before we dive into our text this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity uh, to speak here, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll help us as your word is being preached. Lord, I pray that you'll speak through me and help us to apply your truth in our lives. Help us to understand what motivated Paul to serve you and help us to apply that in our lives. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, what motivated Paul to serve God? So, when I was in India a few weeks ago, uh, I got invited to play soccer. And I love playing soccer, but I haven't played in a long time. And I haven't ran in a long time. But my brothers were playing in a, in a team there. And... Uh, right now in uh, my hometown, outdoor turf is kind of popular. So it's kind of small, but you play with six on six. And so we didn't need a lot of people. So I decided, hey, I'll, I probably won't have to run a lot. I'll, I'll come play with you. And so I decided to go play with them. And when we started playing, the game lasted for an hour each. So I played for only about 20 minutes. Okay, so, but I did score a goal. I scored a goal, and after that, I couldn't run anymore. I was running by myself, and I rolled, and I said, okay, I'm out. I can't do it anymore. I was just sitting outside drinking lots of water, and the whole time, uh, I mean, I was tired, and I was hurting. But we, 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 we were leading at first. We scored two goals, and a few minutes later, they scored, and the other team scored again, and the game ended in a tie. But, you know, I said, I told my brothers, I want to beat this team. I know we can win. The problem was if uh, uh, for, for the losing team, the losing team had to pay for, for the game fee. Or, so since we didn't really lose, we paid half of the fees that day. And I told my brother, you got to call that team again. We have to reschedule. So two days later, later they rescheduled. They agreed to play us again because the other team probably thought the same thing. We can beat this team any day, so let's play them again. So I went back, and we played. And this time, I told my brothers, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a little longer. So, so I, I played. I started playing. I scored two goals. It was awesome. I played. Yeah, but after 30 minutes, I was done again. And I said, okay, I need, I, need, I, need, I need a sub. So I went out. And... Sure enough, and we kept playing. We were doing really good, but one of my teammates scored an own goal, and, and then the same thing happened. My teammate scored another own, own goal again. So I worked so hard for this, but my teammates will let me win, and then they scored another goal. I thought we were going to beat them. The second game, they beat us. I wanted to win so bad. This time we're paying the full fee for the game and play them again. That was Saturday. And, and, we, and my brother called them again and we schedule a Monday evening. So let's do it. Let's go play again. And next time in the third game, I didn't score any goals, but I played a little longer, but it was a tie again. And I didn't want to go back home. Can we play again? But the, the, the field was already reserved, so we didn't do it. But but it kept me going, it, like it, I wanted to go. I was motivated to win so bad and I didn't want to pay the fees, you know, because we were losing. And in spite of, in spite of the challenge to drive, it was a little bit of a drive and 
I didn't really go to India to play soccer, so, but I was spending lots of time playing soccer because the drive there, and it was an hour-long game, and I was spending lots of time, but I wanted to win. I was motivated to win, so finally, a few days before we came back, we were able to get schedule another game. So I said, we're going to win, we're going to beat this team before I go back. And so we started playing six on six. We were dominating this game. The other team was, I mean, I can tell they were nervous. They were, they were defending. They weren't even attacking anymore. We were attacking, but it was a little difficult to score but because the goals were just three by three. It's a pretty small goal, so you have to be pretty accurate and you have to be very close to kick. So, and six of them were pretty much defending because they didn't want us to score. I think they already knew that I wanted to win so bad they didn't want me to score. But while we were halfway through the game, uh, one of my teammates, had invited his older brother, who was also visiting, just like me. My brothers invited me, so they were just being nice to let me play in their team. They, they wanted him to play in the team. But the problem was, he doesn't really play soccer. But So that we requested the other team, hey, let's do seven on seven. Okay, that team, the other team had eight or nine players. They were all good players. We had six soccer players and one guy who wanted to play. So we said, sure, come play with us. So when he got on the field, the whole game changed. We were running everywhere, and I thought we were gonna win that game, but the game ended up in a six to nothing. I scored six goals, and we scored nothing, and I had to go home defeated. But that was, I wanted to win, and that motivated me to keep going. Even though we couldn't win, I came back home, I, came, I flew back, for 30 hours, never winning a single game of soccer. It was a little humiliating, but that's what happened. So the last few weeks, Pastor has been preaching about our building blocks of our church, right? Building blocks, uh, biblical proclamation, passionate worship, sincere prayer, selfless service, genuine love, patient discipleship, compassionate evangelism. So we're taking a little break from this. And I wanted us to pause and think about why, why do we have all this? Why do we, why do we uh, uh, have compassionate evangelism? Why do we evangelize? Why do we disciple people? Why should we do all of these? I think it's important for us to take a step back and think about all of these and what motivate us to do all of these, what motivate us to serve God so in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see what drives Paul to do what he does and what sets him apart from the false teachers. And ultimately, for the, the goal is that the people in uh, Corinth, the Corinthians would use this to defend him against the false teachers. Paul was being accused as a false teacher uh, at this moment. So Paul talks about, what motivates him to serve God? And this should be the same motivation that you and I need to have in order to serve God. So let's look at three reasons uh, why we serve God. The first reason that we see here is in verse 9. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of Him. 
So the first reason is to please the Lord. The reason why we serve God is to please the Lord. And when it says in this verse, accept it of Him, it's not talking about salvation. The Bible clearly states that in Ephesians that we are saved by grace, right? Not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't have to work for our salvation. It's not talking about our salvation. Paul's number one motivation to serve God was to please the Lord, not to please people, not the not to please the people in Corinth, not to please the Pharisees, but to please God. This is his highest goal. He's basically saying, I do what I do. I, I serve who I serve, living for the audience of one. Paul is saying that I don't do what I do to gain someone else's praise. His goal was to please the Lord. We see this clearly articulated a few chapters back, actually in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 4. Uh, keep in mind that the church in Corinth was uh, going through lots of problems, or there were, there were lots of problems uh, in the church of Corinth, and Paul was addressing this uh, in the book of Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians. And one of the main issues that Paul, was, Paul had to deal with was uh, judging other people. The, pe the church or the people in the church were judging other people. They were judging other people unrighteously, which caused divisions in the church. There were people uh, dividing over human philosophies, and some claimed to be of Paul, some claimed to be of Apollos and Cephas. They were, they were, the church was divided at this point. So Paul was addressing, trying to fix this problem. And so Paul was very familiar about people, uh, the, or the problem of judging in the church. And also, there is a strong criticism against the Apostle Paul. He was, uh, they assaulted his credentials and, and even his character, and they even attacked the gospel. They were calling him out as a false teacher. So Paul had to defend himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, the Bible says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judge of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. Basically, he's saying, you know, I don't really care what you think. I know that sounds rude, right? But he's basically saying, I don't really care what you think. He's making it clear that he doesn't serve God to please men. He served God to please God, not the people in the church or, or the people around him. He identifies in this uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, himself as a servant of God, as a steward of the mysteries of God, which he is to be found for God. He's saying, I am a steward. I am Christ's servant. He's not concerned about people's evaluation about his, his value. He's not concerned about people's evaluation about his faithfulness. He's not, so when he says he doesn't really care about what people think, he's not trying to be negative. He's not trying to have a rebellious attitude. He's pointing out the fact that their evaluation, whether it's positive or negative, it has a small consequence to him. It doesn't really matter. What matters is pleasing God. 
He's saying human courts don't have the final say, don't have the final verdict. Your verdict on my life is not the, the, the verdict that's going to settle in eternity. Paul, uh, Paul, Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 2, Paul says to Timothy that serving God is, is like a soldier that has to suffer hardship. And as the soldier has to and disconnect himself from the affairs of life, that he may please, he may please him who had chosen to be a soldier. So he's, give, he's teaching Timothy that serving God is like being a soldier. Does, as a soldier, when he goes to war, he's going to go through uh, many trials. He's going to, to suffer. But he's teaching Timothy to disconnect himself from all the problems that he may go through and focus to follow and to, to please the one who had chosen him to be a soldier. And this is the basic principle of Christian living. We do whatever we do. I do whatever I do to please God, not to please men. While we were or, or on our last day in India, on our way back in my, uh, my hometown, we have a very small airport. You can basically uh, see the end door from the front door, you know, you can see everybody sitting inside. You can see everything. So we said our goodbyes, and my parents tried to keep Timothy, but we, we, we grabbed him, and we walked towards the gate, and one of the first thing we encountered was there was a security guard even before we entered. We had to prove our identity. We had to show them our uh, tickets, and we showed them our passports and everything. So we walked in the airport. There was a line and we walked in the airport. We had to get approved by the security guard in order to go in the airport. And the next thing we see, so the airport, to be honest, it's probably about this size, okay? The whole city's airport. And as we were walking in, we realized, uh, we saw, we saw an x-ray machine where you put in your uh, bags. So we thought, oh, maybe we need our boarding pass first. But no, they said, no, you go here first. So we sent our bags and everything, our luggages. There was a security officer that was scanning our items and everything. And, and so we finally got the security guard's approval. And after that, they said, go stand in line over there. Go get your uh, boarding passes. So we got in line again. And then we showed our ID, our, pass, uh, our, our passport, our boarding, our tickets, and so we got our boarding pass. And after that, they said, oh, now go to that security check. <laughs> so we went on a different direction, right in a corner, and we, uh, I, had, or I have already checked in my check bags, and my carry-ons had to go through another security machine. So everything was going through another security, and we had to prove our identity again, and, and that we went through that again. So we were finally waiting for our, our flight. Actually, we were waiting for our bus. There was, you can actually see the plane, but they wouldn't let us walk. When you are landing there, they don't pick you up. You just walk to the airport. For, they park about uh, half a mile away, and you have to walk to, to the airport. But on, when you are about to board, they pick you up. They're supposed to pick you up on a bus. So we were waiting for our bus. 
And finally, they, they call our, our, our airplane, and we were lining up to go into the bus. As we were lining up and going through, I saw another x-ray machine. And there was another security officer scanning us and, 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 and checking, checking our passport and checking our IDs. We had to get approval from so many different people to, to board on that little tiny plane. It's hard to get a, approved by so many people. And I'm thankful that with God, it's not like that. We don't have to please everybody. We only need to please the Lord. In our daily lives, when, whether it could be at work or with our family or when you are in school, sometimes we don't realize the pressure around us. Some, some are obvious and some are less obvious. Uh, and people might not understand why you make certain lifestyle choices or why you choose not to swear or why you choose prioritizing reading your Bible or why you prioritize going to, uh, to Bible studies or why you prioritize going to church on weekends. Why do you uh, give up your free time to go to church? People might not understand some of the things that you do or people might not understand why you, you don't laugh at the dirty jokes or people might not understand why you have integrity in your business dealings. They might not also understand why you want to talk about God. They might under, not understand why you want to talk about God during your lunch break. And the whole beliefs that might not be politi politically correct. And sometimes it can be tempting to maybe sacrifice some of our biblical beliefs so that we can fit in or make our life easier with unbelievers but it is a lot of work to 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 live a life to get approval from everybody just like it was a very a lot of work to get approval from all the security guards maybe even a little more because we had a little baby who was tired and we had to go through security like six or seven times in a little tiny airport just like that sometimes it's so hard to get approval from everybody and it's it's impossible to get approval from everybody. And, and because we are sinners too, we make mistakes. And our goal in life should not be to please the pastor or to please the deacons or the leaders in the church. We don't serve God so that everybody thinks we are a spiritual family. We don't serve God because we are obligated to serve pastors. And, and teenagers, we don't serve God because... Our parents told us to, right? We serve God to please Him. Amen. And the Apostle Paul's goal, we see here in this passage, was to serve God. His goal, his motivation to serve God was to please Him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, that ye be, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Colossians 1.9 says that ye might walk worthy of, uh, of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Our desire 
to please God should motivate us to serve Him. So we see uh, the reason why Paul served God was to please Him. And secondly, here in this passage, we, uh, in verse, verses 10 through 13, look with me in verse 10 through 13. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in this body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. Verse 13 says, For whether we beside ourselves, it is to God. Whether we be sober, it is for your cause. So secondly, we see the reason Paul serves God because, uh, because of the fear of the Lord. Here in this passage, or even throughout the Bible, we see that Paul had a passion for persuading people. He was uh, persuading people to the truth of the gospel. We see it in, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 18, he, we see that he was reasoning with the people in synagogue so that people can learn about the truth of the gospel. He was always persuading people to the gospel, to the truth of the gospel. So why is that, that Paul made his life's ambition to persuade men and women to the truth of the gospel? It is the fear of the Lord. So why the fear of the Lord? So one of the reasons we see here in verse 10 is, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So basically, he's saying that I will give an account. I will give an account for my life, how I live my life. It doesn't mean that we earn our salvation through good works. It's basically the judgment seat of Christ. It's basically a, 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 an option for reward. We, if we remain faithful, we get to reign with Christ. So this is our reward. So recognizing that someday we will be standing before the Lord. Someday we will stand before Christ to represent it fear. Or here in our uh, uh, King James it says, terror terror in uh, terror of the Lord so he has fear of the Lord because he will stand in front of, of of the Lord one day so Paul is recognizing that I am going to stand in front of Christ and give an account for my life and I don't know about you, that doesn't sound a very comfortable thing. And not that it's a bad thing, but because Paul doesn't have to worry about salvation. Our salvation is secure, right? None of us have to worry about salvation. Just like uh, growing up, I know my dad loved me. And there were times when I disobeyed my dad more than I should have. But I never had a fear in my mind that he was going to disown me or he was not going to love me anymore. There were times he had to correct me, but it was because he loved me. I was, I, I, he, he was still going to be my dad, right? So we don't have to worry about our salvation. It's not talking about salvation here. But yes, uh, there, but there is also a 
time for healthy fear. And this is what exactly Paul is talking about here in this verse. This is the reason why Paul made his life's ambition to persuade men to the truth of the gospel. And he knew that all men have to go through this. Everyone will stand before the Lord at some point. Basically, he's saying, I will give an account for my life, for how I live my life. So the judgment seat of Christ is for Christians. It's not for unbelievers. The judgment seat of Christ mentioned here in this verse involves believers giving an account for their lives to Christ. So the judgment seat of Christ doesn't determine our salvation. That was already determined by Christ, uh, by Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. All of our sins are forgiven, and we will never be condemned for them. The Bible says in Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we shouldn't look at the, the, the judgment seat of Christ as God judging for our sins, but rather God rewarding for our lives. Yes, the Bible says we will give an account for our lives, so surely uh, part of this is answering for our sins as well. However, uh, that is not going to be the primary focus of the judgment seat of Christ. So at the judgment seat of Christ, believers are rewarded based on how faithfully they have served Christ. So Paul is saying that one day I will stand before Christ. So he's concerned. He, he has this fear about meeting Christ to give an account for how he has lived his life. Some of the things that we might be judged are on how well we obeyed the Great Commission, on how victorious we are over sin, and how well we controlled our tongues. And the Bible speaks of believing or believers receiving crowns for different things based on how faithfully we served Christ. The various crowns are uh, described in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at the day, and not only to me, not to me only, but unto them also that love his appearing. First Peter 5, 4 says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. James chapter 1, verse 12 is a, is a good summary of how we should think about the judgment seat of Christ. It says in verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord had promised to them that love him. So Paul is saying that I will give an account for my life. But also, he's recognizing that they will give an account. The people that he has that he is ministering to, not just Paul himself. Paul is not the only one who is going to give an account for his life, but they, the people, uh, the people that he is ministering unto, will also give an account for their life. 
So when we lead people to Christ, when we, when we, when people come to Christ, when we, when people receive Christ as their Savior, we have a responsibility then because they, not just us or Paul, is going to give an account, but the people that have trusted Christ are going to give an account for how they live their life. So we have a responsibility. That's why discipleship is so important. We have to teach, we ought to teach the people uh, about God's Word. We ought to teach them about so that uh, about God's Word so that they can go fulfill the Great Commission, so that they can teach uh, they can be a witness. They can be. Uh, they can live their life uh, victoriously. So, because they are going to give an account for the, their lives as well. So, we see that Paul's motivation to serve God was to please Him, and also because of the fear of the Lord, because He will give an account for his life. You and I will give an account for our lives, for how we live our lives, how we witness, how we, how we, uh, how, how we teach other people, how we live our lives, our daily lives. And finally, we see that Paul was motivated to serve Christ because of Christ's love for us. Look with me in verse 14 and 15. The Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So in this verse 14, uh, constrain it give us the idea of being seized from doing wrong the love of Christ binds us to a behavior that is pleasing to the Lord the love of Christ moves us to live as we ought to live the Bible says in 1st John 419 we love him because he first loved us so why did Paul serve God? He served God because of his love, because of Christ's love for us. So I want to break this down a little bit, Christ's love. So first of all, we need Christ's love. We, we are all sinners. We didn't have the inherent rights to, to, to Christ's love. We didn't, we didn't deserve his love for us in the first place. We love him because he first loved us. He loved us while we were yet sinners, and Christ died for us. So we have a need for His love. We have a need for a Savior. We have a need for our Savior's love for us. So why were we in such a condition where we needed God's love? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 reveals this answer in saying, And you had, and you had He quickened basically made alive, who were dead spiritually in trespasses and sins. Our trespasses and sins against God has made us spiritually dead to God. It has separated us from God. Our sins have separated us from God. That's why we need this love. We need God's love. 
in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, continues saying, Wherein in time past ye walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the, 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 the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, made, were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and we walked according to the course of this world. We were spiritually dead. Isaiah chapter 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Everyone, every one of us have rebelled against God. In the sight of God, we are condemned and we are guilty, and that is why we desperately need God's love. We desperately, we were in desperate need of uh, salvation. We were in desperate need of Christ's salvation. But the wonderful thing is that God provided His love for us, the provision of Christ's love. He died for all. He didn't just die for Paul or just the people in Corinth, but he died for all. He died for all of us as individual sinners. This is Christ's love for us. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. In Philippians chapter 2, says he came to give us his own life as a ransom for sinners like you and me. He bore our sins in his own body on the cross of Calvary. He was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made righteousness of God in him. He suffered and died in our place. He provided a way for us. He provided this love for us. And this is Christ's love for us. So we know that God loved us. And we were in need for His love. And He provided this love for us. So what's our responsibility then? So what's our responsibility? It is wonderful. It is wonderful to hear about God's love for us, right? It is wonderful to hear about, oh, God loves everybody. He died for all. It is wonderful to hear about what He did for us on the cross. Now let's look at what we ought to do because of His love for us, because of what He did for us. 2 Corinthians, here in verse 15, chapter 5, verse 15, we read, And He died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So Christ's love, God's love should, should motivate us and move us to live for him. So God's love should literally force us to live for Him and should bind us to stay faithful, to, to serve Him, to, 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 to faithfully serve Him with our lives. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ loved us so much that He gave His life for us. He sacrificed His life for us, so we ought to live for Him instead of living for ourselves. And sometimes... That can be challenging because I want to live for my own life. I want to have fun. I want to 
do things that I want to do. Not that, I'm not saying that none of those things are wrong, but sometimes we can get, uh, uh, get distracted with satisfying our needs or satisfying, or satisfying our wants, our desires. And, and we know what God's Word says, but I like doing the things that I want to do. I know what God's Word says that I should be doing, but I don't really want to do it now. Maybe I'll do it later. Maybe I'll do it later in life. Maybe, maybe tomorrow. I want to live my life my way. Maybe you don't say it that way. But if we're really honest and if we examine our lives, how do we live our lives? Do we live our lives to please the Lord and show our love for Him because of His love for us? Or do we live our lives to please ourselves? says, and when we want to please ourselves, a lot of times there's a lot of I, I, me, me, right? We want to please ourselves. And sometimes we forget about what God wants to do because we want to please ourselves. We ought to be living for Christ, for, for Jesus who died in our place, who gave his life for us. We ought to live for Him. And we, when we trust Him as our Savior, we now have a newness in Him. The newness is not, on our, uh, not our own. It is purchased with His own shed blood. Therefore, we ought to live according to His will. Not my will, but thine will be done. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So Paul was motivated to serve God. Or his motivation to serve God, number one, was to please him, not to please men not to please people. And number two, he was motivated because of the fear of the Lord. And finally, he was motivated because of God's love for us. And that's the motivation that you and I need to have. That should motivate us. It's so simple, yet sometimes it's so hard. As a church, we have a mission statement. I don't know if you've noticed, we have uh, new, uh, new pictures uh, on the back of the building. It says, Arise Baptist Church exists for the glory of God, and we fulfill the Great Commission. We follow the Great Commandment, right? We want to follow God. We, we exist for the glory of God, number one, and we fulfill the Great Commission, and we follow the Great Commandment. But I want us to think, why do we do what we do? Why do we even exist? That's the reason why we exist, right? We wrote, Arise Baptist Church exists, right? But why is that important? And, and Paul here in this passage gives us clearly why he serves God. And why do we need to serve God? 
It's so important to understand our why. It's, so many people have written books on understanding your why, right? Because it is important without understanding your why, whatever you do, sometimes it, it's all, almost meaningless or you won't even do a great job if you won't understand why you do what you do. So it's the idea of finding your purpose. And Paul teaches us clearly about his purpose or of why he served God. Paul has laid out an argument of uh, basically a genuine service that he holds up to, to the attacks or the doubts of, the, uh, of false teachers. Because he was being accused of being a false teacher at this time, and so he was trying to make it clear why he serves God. It is not to please people. And it's not enough to serve the Lord out of obligation or duty. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can fall into this trap because we are obligated to serve, not really, uh, uh, not, not really because we want to serve God, but we are obligated. Oh, somebody asked me to serve, so I'm going to please them, so I'm going to go do it. But our number one goal should be to please God. We should serve Him because we will give an account and others will give an account for their lives. We will give an account for our lives. And we are compelled to serve Him because of His marvelous love for us. I know these are uh, simple truths, but I want us to really think about this passage. And yes, Paul was trying to defend against false teachers, but also he was trying to teach the, the, the people in Corinth why they should be serving God. Because there was a lot of problems that, that, that came up that, that was happening in the church in Corinth. And this, and we can apply this in our lives as well. If we, when we look at Paul's life about why he serves God. And why we do what we do here as a church, as Arise Baptist Church. Why we, we serve God, uh, like last week. Why do we take our time during the week to, to pass out flyers? Teenagers took the time to pass out thousands of flyers. Why, why do we do what we, we do, right? Why do we serve in the nursery? Why do we serve in different areas of the church? Let's look at this passage and really examine our lives. And just like Paul explained it to the Corinthians, I want to challenge us to think about it and apply it in our lives. The reason we ought to serve God is to please Him. Not to please anybody else. Not to please anybody in the church. Not to please our parents or our friends. But to please Him. And one day we will give an account for our lives. And we serve Him because of His love for us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to preach from your word. Lord, as we examine our lives, why we serve, why we do what we do to, 
to serve you, Lord, help us to realize that we don't need to please people. We don't need to please men, but it is to please you.